Hey guys, I had truly exceptionally talented and well-established local painter Rachel Bass on the show with me this week. Rachel's work I just kind of stumbled across, I really responded to it, and she was gracious enough to give me a little bit of time in her personal studio, which to me was like Willy Wonka's factory. She had so much amazing stuff from old Universal horror movies and these vintage pinball machines from the Addams Family, and I was just so excited to be there, and she had such a great story to share. A little bit of self-promotion real quick. I am starting some work with a new theater company in town through the Mesa Art Center uh, starting in January 2018. So now is a chance to take a look online. Check us out at laughingpigtheater.com. Also Laughing Pig Theater on Facebook and Instagram. Kind of see what we have coming up. We really appreciate a little bit of support. And I think you'll dig our stuff. But in the meantime, I think you'll really dig Rachel Bess's story. So relax and enjoy Rachel Bess. Starving Artist Phoenix, I'm Tony Machete, I'm with Rachel Best today. How are you doing, Rachel? I'm great. <laughs> Glad to hear it. Um, so I am very excited we got a chance to do this. I know we, we were talking a while back about it and just never came together. Very stoked because this is I, honestly a medium that I don't know too much about. I don't know too much about like visual arts, basically. I know I have kind of have a background in the performing arts. So I'm always excited to talk to somebody who has another means of expression. So just from the beginning, you know, how, how do you feel like you got introduced to visual arts? I think just like most people, I was, I did it from when I was young and I just didn't stop. So I decided, you know, in high school that I was either going to do art or be a mortician or some sort of forensic whatever. And kind of found a way to do both, it looks like. (laughs) (laughs) And actually I have most of a degree in anthropology and forensic. I've done a lot of forensics on the side, if you will, (laughs) anthropology. (laughs) Yeah, so I chose the least financially stable career path just for fun. <laughs> Which is the only reason to do it, really. Yeah. That is interesting, though, that you bring up the, the formal education at Anthropology that you, that you got. Because I, I know that you've spoken before about how you have an interest in figures and kind of the way that they, they move and the way that we're kind of formed. And I, looking at your portraiture and stuff, it, I can always... I, I'm caught off guard by how interesting the bone structure is and that's something that I, I kind of noticed looking at your forms is kind of I can always kind of see the curvature of the bones you know clavicles and stuff are very defined I think that's really interesting uh, is that something that you approach consciously when you're looking at a, a form first off thank you yeah. yeah whenever I'm looking at a figure I'm trying to figure out all of those things right once you know that anatomy and are working with it then then you see it right if you don't if you don't know what's underneath then it's harder I guess to look for it, if that makes sense. But since I do, then it's a little bit easier for me to convey, I think. But it is something, you know, if I'm trying to portray a figure, I don't want to bullshit it. I want it to look sure. how it should look. So, yeah, I, I do focus on that a lot. So it seems like kind of like a chicken egg situation to me. So what, what comes first for you? Was it was it the fascination with the human form and then drawing it to express it? Or were you interested in art and, and researched the human form in order to capture it better? Um, 
probably the latter actually. Okay. I think I'm much more interested in in ex well I'm I'm interested in expression and a way to get that across. Okay. So, I mean, hu human form is something that we all relate to and I think many people just naturally gravitate to. It's not it's not like a um, contrived approach to express those things, but that's um, where, I, you know, the way that I think I can convey the things that I am trying to get across. So then I wanted to do that better and better and better, right? Whenever sure, you start yeah. young, you got these goofy looking figures and you get really frustrated because <laughs> the things that you're trying to say, people can't really, re you know, you don't, once you can get the form accurate, then you can move on to the things that are beyond the form. But if you're still in this sort of in-between state where you're trying to do something realistically and it's not it's not there yet then that I mean that's really that's really frustrating I can imagine what did that experimental phase kind of look like for you I know you have kind of a formal education obviously behind you were you exploring different mediums beyond painting not really and I think you know I went through the same steps that everybody goes through where where something just really looks like um, garbage and in, in my case it was like gothic garbage and it was all these <laughs> you know pale bony girls and their and their sorrow it's i guess to some extent that's still what it is that's the name of so many people's art shows i think is <laughs> pale bony girls and their sorrow but i yeah but it's become more realistic <laughs> since then and so what was the turning point for you when did you realize that you were improving i guess if that's a tangent really I saw, I think, the biggest improvements after college. You know, I'm sure that had something to do with all of the time I put in mm. during college as well. But I feel like at the point when I decided, well, this is what I'm going to do, I, I better do it well. So then you just really put in, you know, more and more and more hours. And then you could, you could, you know, I can remember the time that I feel like I crossed that bridge or, or whatever. I felt like this work was much better than the work that I had done previously. And, you know, of course, now I look back at that work and it's still not good. <laughs> that, that's not good either. But, so I guess that's kind of a continual process. But, but I do remember a certain turning point that came maybe six months or so after, after graduating from college. And at that point, were you already trying to make a profit from your art? How were you trying to sell pieces? Or did that confidence come after this other step? No, I was trying to because straight out of college, I, I mean, I know there was never any point where I thought, well, I am going to go waitress or something to mm. make this happen. For one, I've never waitressed and that would probably not end well. <laughs> but I, I ended up being a, a life drawing teacher for six or seven years, but that just sort of came by happenstance. So I set out from the beginning, like I'm going to be a painter. That's what I want to do. I'm not going to wait around to do it until the time is right because then, you know, I'll be 40 and have never done what I wanted to do. So I tried to just keep my bills really, really low and give it a shot. So I did try and make work for that would, not that would sell. I tried to sell my work from the beginning. Now, was marketing something that, that came easily to you? Because, I mean, that... Especially, I feel like in, in a situation where you have to convince a gallery or convince, you know, a cafe to hang something up and wait for yeah. someone to buy it. Yeah. Not at all. Also, you know, I think 20 years ago, when which is what we're talking about here, like the marketing world was, was very, very different. MySpace hadn't even come on the scene yet. There was still, there was no, uh, you know, all of my work was on physical slides. So all you could do is send out slides to galleries or show your work to people that actually would see it in person. So marketing wasn't, I don't feel like back then anyway that, that you could 
get away with doing the person-to-person -person sales that so many people do now via mm -hmm. just the internet in whatever capacity they're their doing. own personal websites and yeah. yeah personal websites or off Etsy I mean off really yeah. anything that just wasn't a thing at the time so I ended up going the um, gallery route f from the beginning because that's that's what you did if you wanted to um, sell paintings you found galleries that would show your work and sell it now this might be a little bit of a biased question, but, you know, since you speak about, you know, how much easier it is with the internet nowadays to make those type of deals, do you feel like it's set the bar lower? I feel like there's been an argument that, like, oh, now everybody's an artist, everybody's an actor type of thing, everybody's a comedian. What's your take on that? Hmm, that's interesting. I don't think that it's really lower, but it's definitely different. I mean, it's really two different two different career paths if you want to do traditional gallery route or if you want to do person to person a lot of that is just going to be in hmm. you know i don't think that it yeah i don't think that it, i wouldn't say that it set the bar lower i'm happy to see that there's more people out there doing the things that they love and even if it's just for side money or whatever because what you like is what you like right it's not like someone was going to come and buy my painting but then they saw somebody's etsy shop and found a moonstone bracelet or, or something and it's like, well, I'm going to buy this instead. That's, it's, it's $19 versus a hundred times that for this paint. I mean, yeah, I don't ever, I don't really ever feel like I'm in direct competition with anybody because people are, you know, they like what they like and if, if they can buy it and they want to buy it, then they will. Uh, if anything, I feel like it's made it so, you know, I don't know how it is in, in your circles or acting and all of that other stuff. I can really only speak about visual art, but I feel like it's made people, if the barrier to entry to art ownership is lower and you want to start off, you know, you're in, you're in your early 20s, you can't afford a, a $10,000 painting, right? But you could afford an $80 painting. So that maybe gets you in a position where you have art in your life more. And then 20 years later, maybe you want to keep doing that. Whereas if, if you never... If you, if you didn't have that experience earlier, maybe you wouldn't go on, you know, <laughs> to stay in uh, an art patronage type of situation. That makes sense. I didn't think of it that way from the ownership point of view. Jumping back a little bit, too. What was it like for you, I guess, first getting your foot in the door at a gallery? Because I know you've, you've had a pretty good relationship with galleries that lasted quite some time. Yeah, I've been pretty lucky in that uh, regard. Um, my very first gallery relationship was actually modified way back whenever they were still having you know punk rock shows that were going on like people were slam dancing next year oil paintings <laughs> with no air conditioning only a um a swamp cooler so the humidity <laughs> i mean but but that i actually ended up you know i sold a lot of work out of modified and that led to a lot of different relationships i was at perihelion for a really mm -hmm. long time um, and then they stopped doing their brick and mortar thing. And I was lucky enough to get picked up by Lisa Seti after that. So, I mean, it's just been, I mean, it worked really hard. Right. It's not entirely luck, but sure. it's, it has, it has been, uh, I think a really lucky situation for me with my galleries. I, I'm really glad that you went back and, and said that by the way, too, because I think that, you know, it, it is important to note that it is, you know, it is your effort and it is your hard work to a certain point. I mean, it's true that some situations just some people don't get a chance to get put into, but I, I always like to hear when people are, <laughs> are willing to give themselves a credit too. So you kind of talking about the whole punk rock scene and everything. I know that 
I mean, looking around us in the studio now, there's a lot of my kind of pop culture and alternative culture and stuff just hanging on the walls everywhere. And I know that just some of the uh, titles and things of, of pictures that I've seen have some references to Lovecraftian, you know, like <laughs> mythos and stuff like that. Um, how how much of a, an effect do you feel like that has on your work? I don't feel like it has any more effect on my work than it does on anybody else's. It's just that the things that influence me seem to be in a pretty narrow niche as far as like <laughs> death and things about death, things that look like death, <laughs> you know, so horror, that sort of stuff, and the music that goes along with it and the aesthetics that go along with it. So there are a lot of um, influences there, but in the same way that anybody's personal influences influence them as well. Like a lot of the stuff that influences me, people don't necessarily see in the work, but I'm maybe they do but I would say like one of the things that I'm really into are endurance sports and athleticism and adventure <laughs> and that sort of risk-taking and you see that in some of the work I think that is more of like a it shows in maybe some of the mood of some of the figures but not not always in the the look of the painting so I mean, I'm coming at it from Gothletics, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that is wonderful. So let's let's talk through that process a little bit. A few words that have come up quite a few times, you know, looking at your website and stuff. You know, the idea of impermanence, death, translucence was one that, that really caught me. You'd said an article, translucence was a big inspiration of yours. So taking a big abstract idea like that, like impermanence, what does that look like, you know, with, within you to translate that into something tangible in front of us? So... The impermanence, the, the most obvious one is, is like the impermanence of life, right? Sure. Like there, there's a, there's a series of the, the, like the rotting Bruce fruit and, yeah. that, that, you know, I, I try not to do any just out and out rotting corpsey stuff. That feels, I mean, if somebody wants me to, I will, um, <laughs> but, uh, it's a little on the nose for you. Well, it, I actually have gotten, uh, some commissions for people who have had loved ones or children die and they wanted me to paint them from images of their dead relatives yeah. and to try and make them look lifelike which you know that's a wonderful challenge yeah. and emotionally draining you can I can't put in 12 hours a day on that I can sure, only work for like four or five hours looking at you know people's mm -hmm. like just some of the worst moments of people's lives and trying to make it so that it's something that they can remember in a more positive way I, I don't know I don't yeah. know that I would be the type of person to ask for that but if someone asks me for that then I'll do my best to yeah, um, so that's to something you can really say no to either right yeah. I mean like you know yeah. hey you look like you could do this why don't you <laughs> oh, uh, my baby she died can you help oh, like oh, yeah. oh I would yeah. love to I will do my very best yeah. so impermanence uh, you know that that is a little bit on, but but some of the things the reason that you see so many of of like the waves or sunsets or those sorts of things because those are really really finite moments and finite forms that that are there for a second you can appreciate it and then it will be gone and I think that that is you know a metaphor for really just about everything like being in the moment living in the moment and appreciating things as as they are as they transpire so so it has to do a lot with that as well um, not not 
unconscious corpses. <laughs> and I, it seems like, speaking of waves, the first thing that came into mind when you talked about that was uh, just kind of the attention to detail you put into textures and, and materials, like the way somebody grips a piece of fabric in your pieces <laughs> is, is like takes so much focus and so much tension in the, within the work that it does kind of make it feel like, okay, this is important and maybe that's just maybe it's important because that's the only way that fabric will ever look like that ever again maybe that's maybe that'll never fold in that way quite that way again is that a conscious focus of yours too kind of as a sidebar <laughs> yeah i mean everything everything in the paintings is is there for a reason if if you ask any of my models um about posing for me they'll tell you that i will make them reposition their hands specifically you know, maybe like a hundred times or something. Like, I don't really, the body, that will fall as it falls. But there's so much more expression in the parts that you're not thinking about mm. is the parts that you are thinking about. So that's the part, all of those little things are things that I'm trying to use to convey, you know, whatever it is I'm trying to convey. But then also the, all of those textures and things, those are just challenges for me to keep it fun too because I want to keep improving I want you know I want to come to work in the morning and be be challenged and have have something you know a new bar to try and hit and sure. sometimes you succeed <laughs> yeah well I mean obviously like that I like again I'm not necessarily an art guy but I mean the, the images specifically like with the fabric the sea witch and the jellyfish is one that sticks in my head from what I remember seeing and yeah that's, I thought it's I think that's the last painting I did that there are images of so that's the I mean that's the most recent oh, painting so some of them may have been released like I may have put some Instagram pics or something up since then mm -hmm. but that's the last so that's the, the most recent painting therefore my favorite painting <laughs> That's interesting. So in a, in a kind of real technical way, though, so how, how does it work to actually get from an idea, a mood, to a photo of a model, to a sketch, to an underpainting, to a color? So usually what happens is I either I'll have an idea about, about a scene or something like that mm. that I want to do, or I'll have a model that I want to work with. Sometimes both uh -huh. at the same time, but usually one or the other. So if it's a scene, then I'll find a model that's available, that I like, that can show up on time. <laughs> <laughs> or if it's the model, then then sometimes I'll just have usually her, sometimes him, come over and I'll, I'll give a loose guideline of like, hey, I'd like you to show up in some shiny clothes or, you know, don't, don't wear, don't wear makeup just some like very very loose and, and we'll just kind of go from there and I'll do a lot I'm a terrible photographer so I'll take a lot a lot a lot of pictures um and is it safe to say sorry no, is it safe to say at this point you don't have really an idea of where you want to go with it yeah where I or I may think that I do but oh. <laughs> inevitably what I think that I want to do ends up on the cutting room floor and and I end up doing something that's really more inspired by kind of what she was feeling that day or something that I see in her that day and I'll try and form images around that and I work from you know off a monitor with a series of images it's not like here's one shot I took now I'm gonna make a painting of this one shot it's usually five or six different shots and I like to work from shots versus from life be for a couple of reasons one is you know paintings take me a hundred plus hours I'm not gonna I can't pay somebody to sit that long, but two, they couldn't sit that long and still keep that, like the immediacy of, of expression, that sort of stuff you can capture in, in an image that you can't capture, you know, once somebody's sitting for even 30 seconds, all of their um, features start to s sort of go towards 
you know, a nondescript middle. Mm -hmm. It's kind of neutral. Yeah. yeah. So I, I like I like to do that. So I've got my images, and then I'll draw it out, get it drawn on the panel. You know, usually I'll trace a drawing onto the panel after I get it all worked out. So that way, I want each step to be broken down as into as many little steps as possible, so I can move forward with a clean version of what I want. So let's say I make a, a, a drawing from those images, get everything in the right place, how I want it, trace that drawing onto the panel, and then start doing an underpainting. And the underpainting is laying in all my values so I know that that everything works well, at least in a monochromatic way, that the composition is good. And then mm -hmm. from there, then after I've got the values laid down, then I'm starting to put down the first color layers. And those are obviously the color sure. layers. <laughs> <laughs> and and get that all worked out. Um, so really just breaking things down into many little problems instead of one big one. <laughs> is that the way you've always worked, or did you have to kind of develop that process along the way? Um, it is really the way that I've worked for a pretty long time. Uh, yeah, most... Yes. <laughs> now, now, with so many different little steps along the way, you know, there's a lot of opportunities where you can, you know, like you said, change your mind or maybe decide that's not the way you want to go anymore. You had a very fun quote um, about failure that I, I read in another um, article, or just where you um, somebody asked you what your favorite tool was or something, and you said the table saw, which is why I run the panels through <laughs> and I don't like them. Um, and I just thought this interesting thing. People don't really talk about when it comes to Know, making something actually physical that you know sometimes it doesn't work out and how do you deal with that and what do you do so uh, how how do you cope with I guess rejection drawings and failures uh, I fail a lot I've become good friends with failure <laughs> it's the, I mean it's really how you're gonna get better I mean everybody nobody likes it but you always learn something from it and so again after 20 years of doing this I've run a lot of paintings through a table saw <laughs> I fail and even if, if the whole painting isn't worthless, mm -hmm. there's a lot of times where you put in an entire day, so you've been painting for 10 hours, and then you go back and look and realize it was much better before I started today. Mm -hmm. And there's no control Z, you know, right. get rid of this. <laughs> you just like, God, what a waste of a day. It just sucks. But, I mean, you have that about everything. I would say, if anything, failing so often in painting has helped me deal with failure in regular life about things that I fail at I, it just it doesn't it doesn't bother me anymore on a deadline no that's different if I'm on a deadline and I'm failing then I'm gonna run around swearing and being really upset but if it's just you know through the course of creating a show and I'm not too pressed for time or something like that then well it is what it is so. That's, that's funny, yeah, I guess that would help, you know, if you spill your drink or something in, in life. So, well, at least I've been spilling it for 12 hours, you know. <laughs> so, just dealing with the different ways, I guess, in which you can show your work, you know, not only galleries, but I know you do kind of bigger exhibitions and stuff like that, whole shows, uh, Chaos Theory was something I saw, Art Miami uh, was something that, so how do you... How do you approach kind of finding stuff like that? Is there, do you specifically look for ones you think would fit your style or do you just go anywhere and everywhere? And kind of how's Phoenix too for something like that? Well, Art Miami I do because Lisa said he takes my work to Art Miami. That's really her decision. So okay. a lot of those big international <clears throat> shows, the gallery decides and the gallery takes your work um, because they think that they can sell it. There's ultimately mm. what it comes down to or, you know, find homes for your work in museums or oh, bigger okay. and better 
um, opportunities. As far as Phoenix in general, I mean, it's pretty easy to say that Phoenix doesn't support the arts. I don't think that that's necessarily true because it's always worked okay for me. I've been able to make my career here. You know, could I, if I lived in LA, would I be making 10 times what I make here? Maybe, but would I be spending that much money to live in <laughs> a place where it's frustrating to get anywhere? Maybe, you know, I, I don't know. I think that there's so many good people in the arts communities that are trying to do things to, to create new spaces, promote work, do things. There's a lot of underground stuff happening. You can always find ways to break in, I feel like, in Phoenix, whereas maybe you can't in other markets. Like if I if I was in, in New York, hmm. it may not be as easy for me to get my foot in the door. Maybe it would be. I don't know. But it, it feels like, Phoenix, if you work hard enough and try and be generally respectful of other people, <laughs> you can get at least started. So if you're willing to put in that effort and that time, and assuming that, you know, that you don't have six kids at home that you're also trying to take care of and, sure. and do those sorts of things, you, you can. Can you get rich doing art in Phoenix? No. So maybe it mm -hmm. depends on what, what you're after. Is, do you just okay. want a career that will sustain you? You can do that in Phoenix. Do you want to be at the Met? That's going to be harder. <laughs> gotcha. And is that something that you've had to face head on sometimes? You know, just the idea of these are the sacrifices I'm making? Or has it always been kind of an easy, easy decision for you of this is what I want to do? For me, it's always been a, a fairly easy decision in terms of I, I wanted to, I want my life to be the life that I want. Would I rather make a hundred thousand more dollars every year? Yes, of course I would. But right now I get up and I do the things I want to do every day. Nobody's telling me what to do. So I have the opportunities that I want to have, but like every once in a while your mom calls and says, so-and-so <laughs> selling at some auction and you know, this painting just <laughs> sold for $5 million and, or $500 million and your work is so much better. Why aren't you at Christie's and, or Suffy's or, or whatever? <laughs> and you have to explain, well, this is the art market and, and kind of like the politics that go on that it's not, that none of this is really about skill for, for most of those things. So I hear about it <laughs> from other people, <laughs> but just if I didn't have to hear that external needling, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I guess maybe you just have somebody have to tell them, stop going to Christie's. Just stop going to Sotheby's. It's not just helping anyone. <laughs> don't open the New York Times. <laughs> we'll all be fine. Um, that that must be a difficult decision to make. Just the yeah, basic idea of pricing your work. I mean, is there a pattern, I guess, that you have to apply for it at this point? Or is it kind of a subjective thing? Yeah. So, and I would say, in general, pricing mm -hmm. for artwork tends to be you start at some amount where mm -hmm. you're figuring out, well, this is how much I need to survive. And it has to be pretty low because you have to get people to buy it right. um, when nobody's ever heard of you. And then it tends to go up. Now my work goes up about 10% every year or year and a half. So it's a pretty steady, it's a fairly predictable increase. Mm -hmm. uh, I think some artists will experience a very large jump for when they go from being, you know, a local artist to a national or international artist. But then a lot of times they, their work can't sustain that jump. So if mm -hmm. I go from selling $5,000 paintings to $180,000 paintings, well, you've just really skipped an entire portion of the market. 
And if you can't sustain that, and some people have bought your $180,000 <laughs> paintings, you're in a world of hurt because you've just devalued their large investments. So whenever you get into like the high-end art world, there's a lot of other factors to consider other than just, you know, how many dollars per hour do I need to make to live? Sure. And does it fall on you as the artist to find those markets? I mean, I, I know that you've done shows, you know, not only across the country, but internationally as well, you know, in, in Germany. So... Does it fall on you to find where is going to buy your art and for how much, or is that something that's part of your relationship? No, you need to keep that, you know, for my relationship with the galleries, mm -hmm. I can't be going up or down really anywhere else. I mean, just currency exchange. Mm -hmm. And that actually happened with a show that I had in Australia because the American dollar was so much stronger than the Australian dollar that my work felt significantly more expensive. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of problematic in that show so I always want to go to places who have stronger currency versus places that have weaker currency so if I then you can sell stuff and it feels like a bargain to those people and then you get in the psychology of well if it's not super expensive and if I don't have to sacrifice for it then is it really worth having there's a lot of interesting psychology that goes into expensive things a little subtle manipulation you have to put in there of yeah, yeah I mean it's 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 a strange I prefer to not have to deal with that at all. So that's one of the things that I love about being in a in a gallery, you know, mm -hmm. um, that I don't have to deal with that. <laughs> uh, I do want to talk for a minute, too, about the relationships you build with other artists in your community, and, and not just with other artists, but with models and stuff, too. Um, just kind of how, how important is it to, I guess, maintain those relationships? Do you feel like it's something that you're you know, particularly strong with, you know, when it comes to dealing with other people at your level? I think that I, hopefully, <laughs> I, mean, I, I like to work with people that I get along with, and I like to work with reliable people. So those two things, I, I think, like, if you're being respectful to other people, mm -hmm. and they're being respectful to you, then you guys can both help each other out for a long time. And some of those relationships, you know, I've had relationships with people for for many decades when you say work with um many, did, i mean i'm not 80 but <laughs> said, we'll cut that <laughs> but when when you say work with is it mostly like you promoting each other's work that type of thing helping find you know shows to come in on yeah for sure so some of these people like i met at house parties when i was a teenager and and we've all gone down similar career paths not all you know some of us have and if they have a connection with a different gallery and something comes up that i would be appropriate for or vice versa, then you say, hey, you should really look at Matt Dixon's work. It's really good. And then you can help them get into some shows or they might help you get into some shows and you, you help each other out with your career. I mean, it's sort of basic networking, but not f for the, sometimes whenever you say networking, it sounds like you're going to these organized events to try and <laughs> rub elbows with people who right. you can take advantage of in the future. But this <laughs> Lots is, of business cards. <laughs> right. <laughs> but this is not that. Um, so, you know, but it's a, it's a matter of a, a model. Some models I worked with, I've had some great opportunities to work with models before they blew up, as, mm. it, as it were. So... And you can point them to other artists, get them some work, get it so that they don't have to have as much of a day job or any day job, and you can just help propel each other's careers. I love that. And this is something I think we can kind of just wrap up to the last couple of questions I like to ask. Um, for starters, is there anyone else in town that you would like to give a shout out to? So other artists that happen to live here that, <laughs> that I like, yeah. Colin Schlag, 
one of my very favorite painters. Well, I'll name three. Colin Chalog, Matt Dixon, and Yuko Yibuki. Those are my, those are three excellent painters, all of them painters. Would you say they have similar styles to you, or are they a little... No. Um, <laughs> Matt would be the, the closest in style, mm -hmm. but no, they're really three very different painters, but all of them really excel at what they do. If you don't mind me asking too, I know we're trying to wrap up, but uh, what is it then, you know, what is the common thread throughout those? Is it just talent? Talent at doing, I mean, they do a good job at, yeah, <laughs> they do a good job at what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they, I, all of them have different aesthetics, so. So it, they've all just kind of embraced their own individual aesthetic to mm -hmm. a strong enough point that you can appreciate Yeah, and it's, and it, it's yeah. just very, all of it is very high quality. Um, and in, in different ways. Great, excellent. Second thing I'd like to ask, is anything of your own you'd like to promote? Any shows, websites? I have a show coming up at the Mesa Art Center in April. My Instagram, Twitter, all of that sort of stuff is all at Rachel Bess Art. Okay. Um, and is that the name of the website too, rachelbessart.com or is it just Rachel Bess? Rachelbess.com. Okay. But the Instagram is updated much oh. more frequently. Like the website, it's there <laughs> and it has kind of some, if you need a biography or something like that, that's all there. But as far as like images and up-to-date images, I don't put, mm -hmm. I don't put any of the works in progress or any of that on the website. Okay. So um, Instagram is really much better for that. Excellent. Last thing I'd like to ask: If you were to encounter someone who is going down your same road in a first day of it, what one piece of advice would you want to give them? So again, this is really difficult <clears throat> because the, the landscape has changed so much between when I started out and when they're starting out. So I don't know how to advise someone to do a self-propelled marketing that does seem to be the way to go. Yeah. If you if you have any skills at promoting yourself, it seems like a nice way to do it. Uh, otherwise, I would just say, just work a lot. Work a lot harder than you think that you need <laughs> to. I mean, just really be willing to put in the time and be kind and respectful to everyone. If someone shuts you down, you're going to get shut down a lot. <laughs> Prepare for that. Um, don't take it personally. Just move on and, and try for the next thing. Just put in the time and keep, if it's truly something you want to do, just be prepared to just keep knocking on those doors. Keep knocking on doors. I love it. All right, Rachel, thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you. Special thanks to Nick Machete for writing our theme music and Taylor Machete for all of her support. If you are enjoying the podcast so far, don't forget to follow us and leave nice ratings on Facebook, Twitter, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Pinecast.co. And if you or someone you know is pursuing something artistic in the Phoenix area and you'd like to be on the podcast, write to me at starvingartistphx at gmail.com.